Jesus, I've looked at God's word and he's taught me so many things and I pray and hope that you've been learning along with me as we've gone through this book. Um, but before I get there, I do want to thank Steve. I want to thank Steve for his three weeks of uh, coming up here and sharing his heart with us and I appreciate him uh, completely doing that. And I, I appreciate that he kept us centered on what is truly important, that all three weeks it was centered around Jesus Christ and that we need to be proclaimers of Jesus, not only to ourselves, but proclaimers of Jesus to one another. And uh, I want to, so thank you, Steve, wherever you are. I don't know where you sit anymore, but thank you um, over there. Thanks a lot, Steve. Now, I am a little under pressure because I'm thinking, um, I'm not so sure if I'm supposed to, uh, at this point, start unbuttoning my sleeves and taking off my tie or if I should wait a little longer. I didn't talk about the timing with Steve, but no, I'll, I'll keep my tie on because the joke does go, apparently, whoever's wearing the tie is the preacher. Um, and so if you start wearing ties, people might get an idea that you might be preaching. Just keep that in mind. Um, but in all seriousness, I do thank Steve for the three weeks he came and shared with us. And uh, as he talked about proclaiming Christ and keeping Christ the center, that's the same theme that we see here in Colossians. And so as we get back to Colossians, it's a very natural progression. Uh, that when we look at Scripture, we find time and time again what is the center of what Paul and what other authors are telling us. Well, it's Christ and Christ alone. And I, I feel and I believe as we go back to Colossians, we are going to see that there is a similar theme that is going to be continuing through that what we looked at in, in First and Second Timothy, what we looked at in Titus, there is this theme that is flying through of Jesus being center. And we're going to continue looking at that as we go back to Colossians. So it's been a few weeks, so I will take some time to maybe review where we've been. Some of you may uh, have not been here for all the Colossians sermons. Maybe some of you are new with us today, and if you are, by the way, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, and, and just a little bit of a background of what we've looked at so far. As we've looked at the book of Colossians, we saw the overarching idea that we see uh, is that the culture of the day uh, has caused Paul to have to remind the church in Colossae that Christ is superior over all and nothing, or, nothing can or should be added to our faith in him. That, uh, that Jesus and faith in him is all we need. And we saw in Colossae that there was lots of different belief systems, from a Jewish belief system to a pagan belief system, all coming together, all in these cities of, that were on this trade route. And Colossae was one of those cities. And so we see a lot of things being mixed together. And, and Paul is wanting to remind the church, no, you don't need anything else. You don't need what these pagan religions or what even these Judaizers, these Jewish people who are trying to impose their religion on you, you don't need those things to be complete in Christ. All you need is Jesus. And so Paul has been saying that throughout, and so far we've looked at chapter 1, we've looked at most of chapter 2, and we're going to finish chapter 2 today. But what we've seen so far through chapter 1 and 2, Paul starts his letter by thanking God and praying for the Colossian believers. And as he thanks them, or thanks God for them, and he prays for them, it's all centered around the gospel. He wants to be thankful and pray for them that they would understand Jesus, that they would understand the gospel, that Jesus is all and everything there needs to be. And so we saw right from the beginning of the book that Paul was going to continue on in this way. Uh, then as we go on, we saw next, Paul then says, okay, so you, all you need is Jesus. I'm praying for that for you. And here's how you know that all you need is Jesus. And first of all, he points to Jesus' supremacy uh, by reminding us of who he is, reminding us who Jesus is, that he's the creator, the sustainer, and that all things point back to him because he is Lord of all. 
And he showed that indeed Christ is the, as creator and sustainer and Lord of the church. He is to be supreme over all else. Then Paul then, the next time we got together, Paul showed the supremacy of Christ through what he does. So not only who he is, but now what he does. And what we looked at is that Jesus is the one who took enemies, people who hated God, who were living against him, and he took that, that relationship that had been broken, that we no longer had any connection with God, and Jesus comes in between. And Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, through his life, through all that he was and all that he is, he reconciles man to God. That he made it possible for a sinful wretch, as the song would say, to be in a relationship with the perfect and holy God. And Jesus is the one that went between. Jesus is the one that sacrificed himself so that all the world could be, could be reconciled to God. And we see that that means if Christ is the one that is reconciling, then he is supreme over all else. So with that understanding, then Paul goes in to talk to the Colossians about where they find their maturity. Because a lot of us want to become mature in our faith. And he says, how are you going to become mature? How are you going to grow up in Jesus, in the faith? And he says that the only way to grow up is to look to Christ. It's not through adding anything else. It's not through acting a certain way or being a certain way or doing certain acts. But instead, to be mature is simply to follow Christ and submit yourself to him. And then as he talked about maturity, then we, last time we were together, we talked about the idea of fulfillment. Where do we find our fulfillment? Where do we feel complete? Do we try to find our completion in other people? Do we find it, try to find completion in what we do? Or do we find completion in what we've earned? Or do we find completion in the one that we need to find completion and fulfillment in, and that is Jesus and Jesus alone? Because so many of us can get distracted and we can start looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places and it's only going to lead us to destruction. So Paul says, look, if you want to be complete, you have all you need. Christ is in you and since Christ is preeminent and Christ is everything, then if he is in you and you are in him, then you have everything you need to be complete. And we'll look at that just a little bit more because we're going to have to go back in there to get our context for this week. Uh, so, but that's where we've been so far. And, and so that's a little bit of review, and it's good for us to know that. And now we're going to be moving forward. And before we get to Colossians 2, I'd like to share with you a little bit of a story from my life that will help us hopefully understand this text a little better. Um, so some of you may know uh, that I am kind of a picky eater. Actually, kind of is pretty, that's pretty light. I'm a really picky eater. Um, I don't like much I, 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 as far as vegetables, fruits, the healthy stuff. Now, I'll eat greasy, bad stuff for me, and hence, yeah, I'm not the healthiest person, but I'm trying to get better. But that's besides the point. One thing I really don't like, believe it or not, is condiments. Ketchup, mustard, relish, no. Uh, mayonnaise, once in a while, I might eat, but the condiments, they don't make any sense to me. I don't like condiments. I don't think they're good, and I think they ruin the taste of food, to be honest with you. Now, I know some of you are already... Hopefully you didn't already tune me out because you love condiments. I mean, I've seen some people with a hot dog that it's like, are you going to eat any hot dog with your ketchup or are you just going to eat ketchup? My wife is one of those people. Uh, if you ask her, she doesn't like hot dogs. So she'll eat it because it's good protein, but she'll just smother it with everything she possibly can so she doesn't taste the hot dog. Um, so I understand some people are like that. However, for me, condiments, I don't really care for them. And all my life I've been harassed. 
Now, this isn't a group therapy session, but all this week, uh, all my life, I've been harassed by my family, by my friends. Like, how can you not like condiments? There's something wrong with you that you don't like ketchup. Like, everybody likes ketchup, right? Like, there's nobody who doesn't like ketchup except you. You are the weirdo. You need to start eating condiments. And I kept saying no and kept saying no. One of the main ones that used to harass me all the time was my grandfather. Now, my grandfather, uh, he is, uh, I, love, I love the man, but he has very strong opinions. And uh, he would tell me, he was along the way with everybody else, why won't you eat any condiments? It doesn't make any sense. Till one day, he said, you know what, Ken? Since you're not going to change your mind, I'm going to go ahead and eat my meal. And it was a hot dog that day, and a hot dog and hamburger, I believe it was. He said, I'm going to eat my meal without condiments just to see what it tastes like for you to eat it. And so after insisting it, he, eat, he eats the hot dog, he eats the hamburger, and he looks at me and he says, I'm never going to eat condiments again because now I finally have tasted what the meat tastes like. Not a lie. This is, not, this is a totally true story. I don't know if today he still doesn't use condiments, but for a while I know he didn't because he realized that he was missing out on what was really good about the sandwich, about the burger, about the hot dog. It was the meat itself. Now, maybe for you, you don't like hot dogs, you don't like hamburgers, but I, I would say that I wouldn't think there'd be anybody here, with the exception of maybe some children, who would go to a steak joint, get a nice juicy steak, and then slather it with ketchup, right? I, that, that, that seems weird to me. That wouldn't happen because we don't want to spoil the steak. And uh, you say, well, where is this all going? This is a silly story. It makes no sense. And I know that's where you're at because I understand that. But if you think about this, what we're going to see today is that we are in danger of adding condiments to our faith and missing out on Jesus Christ himself. That's the point. Whether you like condiments or whether you don't like condiments isn't the issue today. What we're going to look at is just in the way that my grandfather realized that he was missing out on the true taste of the meat because he was covering it up with all the condiments that he thought were so good, but yet even in the fact that they were good enough themselves in some cases, they, did, they took away from the meal. Just like many of us, as I said, wouldn't smother our steak in ketchup or some other condiment because it would ruin the taste of the steak. And in the same way, we shouldn't add things to Jesus Christ, and yet we try to do it over and over again. And when we do that, we are taking away from the substance that Christ is. We're saying, I know that this is what I'm having, but I want to have something else on top, on top of it. And so that's where we're going, so it does make some sense. I know it's a funny story, but as we think about it in a spiritual way, sometimes we can add the condiments that we don't need to add. And so today I'm going to ask us all to skip the condiments, both physically and spiritually. Um, But let's take a moment to look again at where we've been just recently in Colossians. I've already talked about it a little bit, but I want to go back just so we have some context coming in here. We're going to be in Colossians uh, verses 16, or chapter 2, verses 16 through 23 this morning, if you want to turn there. Colossians 2, 16 through 23. But in the last verses from 8 to 15, this is what we've seen. And it's important we understand this because Paul is going to refer back to this. What we've seen in verses 8 through 15 is this, that we are complete in Christ. We already talked about that. But he gave us three reasons why we're complete in Christ. He said we're united to Christ. Since we are united with the one who is preeminent, then we need nothing else. 
And then he says also last week, that, or last time we were together, not only are we united to Christ, and that gives us completion, but we are forgiven by Christ. That Christ, when he gave his life for us, forgave our sins, and therefore we don't need to live a life of constantly trying to make up for the sins that we've committed. That playing the makeup game is now what God has called us. We are completely forgiven, and therefore we are complete in him. And finally, he told us that we are victorious We are victorious in Christ. And as we are victorious in Christ, since Christ has already won the victory, we have no need of anything else. And that is where Paul is going to continue to come through from here. You see, in Colossians 2, 16 through 23, he he looks at the fact that we've been united, forgiven, victorious, and then now he's going to give us the practical implications the practical implications of what all that means. If indeed we are one with Christ, we're forgiven by Christ and victorious in Christ, and we are then complete in Christ, what should that look like? And why do we know that that's where he's going with this? Well, we see in chapter 2, verse 16, the very first word, and we've talked about this before, Paul says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Now we've talked about this, and the, the phrase is this, The therefore is always there for a reason, right? So why is the therefore there? Well, it's to point us back to what he just said. And so Paul is saying, look, you are complete in Christ. I just made this whole case that you are complete. And if you are complete in Christ and you have everything you need for spiritual maturity and spiritual completion, then therefore, and now we get to our passage. Therefore, starting in verse 16. So let's read the whole passage, verses 16 through 23. And what we're going to see in this passage, Paul's point is simple. Don't let anyone pressure you into adding to your faith in Christ. Don't let anyone tell you you need anything other than Jesus. Don't let anyone pressure you into adding to your faith in Christ. And let's read about that in Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head for whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed appearance of wisdom in promoting self made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So let's take this and break it down a little bit for us today. So Paul is saying, therefore, you are complete in Christ, therefore, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. So here's what we're going to see, is that Paul makes it very clear that he doesn't want anyone to pressure us into adding to our faith in Christ. And he gives us three things in this passage, and we need to listen to each one of these, tells us, he says, don't listen to people about these three things, because you don't need these three things in your faith with Christ. All you need is Christ. And so Paul gives us three things that people are going to pressure us into thinking. We need to add to our faith. And the first thing that Paul discusses is going to be here in verses 16 and 17. And Paul says, don't add rituals. Don't add 
rituals. And so what Paul says here in chapter 2, verse 16, he says, let no one pass judgment on you or, or say that you're not complete in Christ, right? They're, they're saying, oh, you need more. That's what judgment is. It's saying, oh, you're not good enough how you are. You need more. So he says, don't let people judge you, pass judgment on you for those reasons in questions of food or drink or with regard to festival, new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So we see that people will pressure us to complete our faith through external acts. They will pressure us to complete our faith through external acts, doing certain rituals, doing things that will please God, doing things that will make our faith complete. And he gives us different varieties. These come in many different varieties that Paul references here in the passage. And we'll just talk about them quickly. But we see, first of all, he talks about the daily food and drink. Daily food and drink. This is an external act. Like, and the idea here was following a holy diet, the kosher diet. You've probably heard it. That is, Jewish people had a certain amount. Of, these are the foods you can eat. These are the foods you can't eat. If you eat the foods you're not allowed to eat, then you are unclean. So therefore, you need to eat everything that is clean. Otherwise, you will, have, you will be unclean and have to sacrifice for that uncleanness. And that is the idea of the Jewish system now being pushed towards the Colossians and saying, look, you have Christ and that's great, but keep in mind, you're not quite there yet. You still need to obey this diet. You can't eat those things that you used to eat as Gentiles. You can only eat the things that Jewish people are allowed to eat. And that is exactly what Paul is addressing here in this first thing when he says food and drink. He's not just talking about uh, whether you're going to have chicken nuggets or a cheeseburger. He's talking about the fact that you are, it's, it's ritually clean food and ritually clean drink. And people are saying you need to eat the right things and drink the right things or you are not spiritual enough. You don't have enough in your faith. And Paul says, no, don't let anyone pass judgment on you for those reasons. There is no holy diet that gets you closer to God. We have Christ and he's enough. But then he also breaks down, so that's the daily idea. Like every day, they try to say every day you need to have this kosher diet. And he says, no, every day all you need is Christ. And, And then the second thing is yearly festivals. Yearly festivals. These are observing the holy times of the Jewish calendar where, we come, where they would come together and they would eat and be merry and they would have festivals remembering the things that God had done. And in these festivals, once again, you were expected to come to those festivals. If you didn't, you were disobeying Jewish law. You needed to be at these festivals to make yourself right with God. And therefore, Paul now is saying, don't, you don't have to submit to food or drink. You don't need to submit to a festival. There, these Judaizers, these people coming in are saying, hey, you have Christ, but you also need to come to our festivals. Now, by the way, this isn't saying you can't go to the festival, but what it's saying is the festival isn't where it's at. That you have Christ, and that's what's important. Don't worry that you think you have to go to a festival to somehow please God or be complete in your faith. Monthly, this next thing, monthly new moons. We knew the moon cycle is about monthly. And, and typically, in a Jewish calendar, the new moons would be when sacrifices would be presented. And so... Paul, again, is saying, look, you don't need to uh, obey these Jewish systems of sacrifice anymore because you have Christ. No one can judge you on these things. No one can tell you that you need to eat a certain way, uh, that you need to celebrate yearly, or that you need to sacrifice monthly. None of that is what is important. All that is important is Christ and Christ alone. And finally, he mentions this last one, which is weekly Sabbaths. 
So we've seen daily, yearly, monthly, and now weekly. The Sabbaths, the holy days that the Jewish people would have, the seventh day from Friday at sunset to, uh, to Saturday at sunset, when they would have Sabbath time where they would rest and they would come together to worship God. And that's what they would do on the Sabbath. Now, none of that is wrong, and yet it is not required any longer because all we have, we have Christ. We don't need to obey the Jewish law of Sabbath observing any longer. Now, there are good people, even in our community, that still, serve, that still worship on Sabbath. And that is not a problem, but it's not a requirement either. And so, Paul makes it clear that the old ways, the Jewish ways, the Jewish laws of how you were supposed to present yourself to God no longer bear any meaning. In the sense that Christ is everything. And that's where he goes next, because after he mentions all of these things, he says these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These are a shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. Here's the thing. What Paul is saying is these rituals are nothing compared to Christ. That these rituals are absolutely nothing and simply a shadow a forbearance, if you will, a, a foreshadowing, I mean, um, where all of these things, the food and drink, the festivals, the new moons, the Sabbaths, all of those things point to Christ. They all point to him. All of those things that the Jewish religion has been doing, the whole point of that was God throughout scripture and throughout the Jewish system was pointing them to the fact that they needed a Messiah, was pointing to the fact of the ultimate sacrifice that would be given in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, look, Jesus has fulfilled all of those things. Those were just a shadow. He is the substance. They all point to him. All of those things point towards the Savior who had come to save Israel and all mankind. And he says, therefore, you don't need to worry about all those things. And finally, he says, in essence, Jesus is better than all of these. Jesus is better than all of those things. The kosher diet, the festivals, the sacrifices, the holy days of the week, all of those things, although good at one time, Christ has fulfilled and Christ is better than all of those. So why submit yourself to something that is less? Submit yourself to the one who is supreme, the one who is better than all. And that is what Paul wants us to to understand. And so first of all, he says, don't add rituals I don't know what that looks like for us today because we don't have festivals. We don't sacrifice on new moons. Uh, Many of us don't observe Sabbath. But I would say there are lots of things in our life that we think if we do these certain things, this is the way that we can please God. If we go out of our way to be at certain things or do certain things time and time again and never miss and and make sure that we are seen to be spiritual, then somehow these external acts will help our faith grow. That it's about what I do and not about Christ. Now, if we truly love Christ, our actions will follow. Don't get me wrong in what I'm saying, but what I am saying, if you're relying on your external acts or doing certain things that show you to be spiritual, if you come on Sunday morning to church and you say, I'm here because this is my spiritual act, you're missing out because you're missing out on Jesus. If church has just become an act and not a life-giving, life-sustaining, beautiful 
coming together of the body of Christ and it's not centered around him and it's simply a place you come and you get your spiritual obligation done and then you move on with your life, then you're missing out on what God has for you because Christ is all you need and Christ is what you need to run to, not to uh, religious rituals, external acts, doing things that look good on the outside. That's not what we are for. That is not what makes us complete. So don't let anybody pressure you to add rituals. Don't let anybody tell you that you have to do certain things or go to certain places in order to be a good Christian. All you need is Christ. Not only should we not be pressured to add rituals to our faith in Christ, but we, should also, we will also be pressured to add human religion. And so Paul says, don't add religion in verses 18 and 19. Don't add religion. And you say, rituals and religion, aren't they basically the same thing? And I would say, yes, to a certain extent, you're right. Rituals usually are part of religion. And yet I think what Paul is talking about here is going to be this extra special religion in which we have a special connection with God that no one else has. And he says, don't add religion to your faith in Christ. So we see here in verses 18 and 19, let's reread those. In verses 18 and 19, this is what we read. "Let Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, Going on, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So we see now Paul moves on and he says, don't add religion. Because he says, people will pressure us to complete our faith, our prize. So really what this says, and maybe your translation says this, When it says, let no one disqualify you, it actually means let no one take away your prize. Let no one take away your prize. This is a very interesting phrase that Paul uses. Well, what is the prize that he's referring to? Well, there's lots of things we could say. You could say crowns. You could say, you know, contentment, all those things. And and some of that is true. But I think ultimately what is being said here is don't let anyone say that you take away the prize of knowing Jesus. Take away the prize of being complete in him. That is our prize as he has given it to us that he has given us the ability to be with him and in him and everything be complete in him and lack nothing. That is our prize and don't let anyone tell you that that's not true. And he says don't let them do that. Don't let them then insist on asceticism or worship of angels going on and on about visions. So he goes in and he starts talking to us about the things that religion is made up of. The first, so we're going to see several things. Man-made spirituality. So people will pressure us to complete ourselves, our faith, through man-made spirituality. And man-made spirituality includes several things. First one we see here is asceticism, and I hope I'm saying that word right, by the way. If I've been saying it wrong the whole time, I apologize. Uh, But asceticism, what this means is extreme self-deprecation and abuse of the body. So what this word is talking about, when we're talking about religion, is somebody who says, you know what I'm going to do? I want to make sure I'm as holy as I can be. I want to make sure that my relationship with God is so good that I'm going to go all out. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I, I, I don't eat, I don't drink, I don't, I, I don't allow myself to have any pleasure in this world. I'm just going to completely forsake all pleasure, all pleasure, all all good things in this life, and I'm just going to completely walk away from it and separate myself. This was similar to what the monks did. This was similar to, and some of the monks would go so far as they would actually whip themselves. I don't know if any of you know that, but they would be all by themselves, and they'd be whipping themselves 
because they were reminding themselves that they were nothing and they needed to give up all human pleasures and all everything good had to be given up because everything in this earth was evil and everything that's not on this earth is spiritual and therefore we need to even beat our body into submission. And that's what people would do. And even at this time, this is what some people were doing and they were saying, I'm going to deprive myself of anything and everything that could possibly even remotely come to the point where it would draw me away from God. And so they would say, I'm not going to do anything and I'm going to treat myself in this way. And they had basically said all the pleasures and all the good things that God has given in this life that they're evil and they're bad and we're going to put those away so that we can live holy lives. And Paul says that's not what we need. What we need is Christ. And so we, we shouldn't have extreme self-deprivation depri- and abuse of the body. Uh, the next thing he mentions here is angel worship. He says insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Worship of angels. Now, there's a couple things you've got to understand when he says this. this is, he's referring to idolatry. Because anytime we worship anyone or anything other than God himself, that is idolatry. It is putting something ahead of God and it's saying that person or that thing is more important than Jesus. It's more important than God. It's more important and therefore they are my God. And, and he says don't worship angels. Now this idea of angels most likely is even referring to fallen angels in most cases. This is what was prevalent in many cultural religions of the day. Many cultural religions, including Judaism, would actually have this system of worshiping angels. And part of it was, I'm not good enough to go to God. So therefore, I need to find another spiritual being for, to link up with, because that's as close as I can get to spirituality. And in many times, this would end up looking like false religion, because they would be worshiping a false god. They'd be worshiping an angel They'd be worshiping things that they weren't meant to worship. They were meant to worship God and yet would be worshiping angel and as, angels. And as has been prevalent in cultural religions, Paul says no. Paul says not only do you not need to have extreme self-deprivation, but you don't need to worship anything other than God himself. You have Christ. That's all you need. And then he talks about this idea next of visions. He says not only those things, but also going on in detail about visions. He says, that's not what you need. What are visions? Well, it's spiritual experience and revelation. It's spiritual experience. Basically, what he's saying here is, look, don't base your spirituality or how complete you are in Christ on how spiritual you are, that you've had spiritual visions, that there's this supernatural, mystical type of thing going on in your life. And, and so because you have visions and you've seen more than anybody else and you know God better than anybody else because of your spiritual experience, he says that is not what brings spiritual completion. He says all that can bring completion is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And those visions and those extra revelations that you're having, those are nothing more than selfish desires, which he then says next. Because after he says these three things, he talks about these three things lead to people being puffed up. All these things lead to spiritual pride. That is, people beat themselves up and deprive themselves through asceticism, and then they worship angels because they don't feel like they can go to God, so they're trying to find spirituality in other sources. And then also, through their experience, deciding that they are somehow going to be more spiritual based on the experience that they have, when these things happen, it's puffing them up. It's causing spiritual pride. They are trying to impress God, and they are trying to impress others. 
Newsflash for everybody here. There is nothing we can do to impress God. He is God. He is everything. He has created all. He sustains all. And Christ is God. And therefore, as we are keeping this in Colossians, is Christ being supreme. There is nothing we can do to impress him or make him feel like we love him more through external acts like these things. He expects obedience. He expects our love. He forgives us when we fail. But it's all about Christ, and it's not about us trying to impress him with our feeble attempts. We cannot impress God, and yet they thought they could. And Paul says, no, do not add religion to Christ. And he says this, spirituality apart from Christ is useless. True spirituality, as we just talked about, is in and through Christ and Christ alone. You can't find spirituality through these outward things, through these religious things, through these religious experiences. All of those are not Christ. We need to be driven to Christ. And then he says this here at the end of this passage where he says, uh, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying Jesus nourishes us. It is Jesus who nourishes us. And it is Jesus who makes us grow. That if we want growth and we want nourishment in our spiritual life, if we want to pursue true spirituality, the only way that that can come is through the head of the body, the head, which is Christ. As we come together, we submit to him. And that is where growth comes from. We will grow together and we will grow closer to him as we submit to Christ and Christ alone. These, all these other things are just cheap replacements we have the real deal we have jesus and that's all we need finally after we deal with the pressure of ritual and religion paul also wants to warn us about the pressure to add rules to our faith so paul says here in verses 20 through 23 don't add rules don't add rules in verses 20 through 23 this is what we read if with christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and the severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So let's see what Paul is saying. Don't add rules. People will pressure us into completing our faith through strict regulations. Now, you're saying, well, you already talked about this at the beginning when we talked about rituals. Well, rituals are more things that you do to please God. Rules are more things that you don't do so that you don't not please God. I just use so many double negatives. Um, but the idea is, is when we look at rules, they're the do-nots. Where the rituals were more, this is what you do, now the rules are do not do this. And Paul is saying, no, don't add these do nots into your faith. Because that is not where your faith will be found. That is not where completion is found. Regulations look like the following. He gives a couple of just wide examples. He says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are three things. Don't handle, don't touch, don't taste. He's appealing to the human senses and he's saying, you know, 
what, what, what's being said is you, you shouldn't experience certain things. You shouldn't handle certain things. You shouldn't be around certain things, especially if it had anything to do with idol worship. You stay as far away from that as possible. And there's other things that, you know, you don't do this if you are a good spiritual person. And if you want to find completion, you won't handle the things that you shouldn't. You won't even touch it. Not only will you not, like, embrace it, you won't even touch it. Is what, I mean, it kind of gets, goes on and on. And then it finally says, don't taste. Same idea, don't experience. Don't experience anything that you shouldn't. And, the, and they had this whole list of rules, and we could go through all the list of rules that a typical Jewish person would have. And this is most likely the Jews that are trying to bring these things in and saying, you need to obey rules in order to be faithful to Jesus. That it's all about rules, and Jesus is great, but you also need to obey rules. And if you don't obey the rules, then you're not complete. And Paul is saying, no. And then he says this idea of don't handle, don't touch, don't taste. He says these are human teachings. He says that right here. He says according to human precepts and teachings, he says this isn't from God. The rules that are being given to you by man is not what completes your faith in Jesus Christ. They are human teachings and they are focused on no. They are focused on the word no, like don't do this, don't do that, don't ever do this, and no, 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 no. That's what human precepts and human rules are saying. And I would say this, this is a great misunderstanding in our culture today. Many people, and maybe you're sitting here today and you think this, that Christianity is a list of things that I can't do. Therefore, why would I ever want to come to church? Why would I ever want to be a Christian if all it means is I can't do those things that I really, really want to do because all they do is tell me no? That's actually man-made religion. See, we serve a God who's all about yes. Not yes, you can do whatever you want, don't get me wrong, because he has, he has laws that he wants us to follow for our own good, but he's saying, look, you can have me. You can have Christ. Yes, you can have great blessings. Yes, I am looking out for you, and yes, I give you rules, but the rules are for your own good. It's yes, 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 not no, no, no. He's not here to take away all our fun. He's here to fulfill our lives because our ultimate fulfillment only comes through Jesus Christ. And so these human teachings of don't handle, don't touch, don't taste, that are focused on the word no, God's word, he tells us how we should live, but it's for our own good. We will see that time and time and time again. The times that you break God's laws, the times you go against what he says, it only hurts you. He's looking out for our good, and therefore he loves us, and he is Christ, and he is everything we need. And so Paul goes back even then to the beginning of this passage. He says, if with with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. So he kind of, in each of these cases, he says, don't add this because Christ this. And he says, don't add rules because Christ died so that you could die with him. Remember that unity we have with Jesus. And if he died to the world, if he died to sin, if he died to what the pagan religions of the world would be saying, he died to all of those things. He died to those rules that you have to obey rules to please God. We died with him. And he says, look, if you've died to those things, then why do you still live a life in which you are obsessed with rules? Rules are not what's going to give spirituality, and I think many of us live in this place. And I would confess that times in my life I've fallen in this place. Where I've started to look at my spirituality, or even more importantly, other people's spirituality, based on how good of a rule follower they were, as opposed to the relationship that I or they would have with Jesus Christ. Now, as I said earlier, if we have a true relationship with Christ, our life will be different. 
We won't do some of the things that the world would do. And we'll do things that will look weird and strange to the world. And that is a natural way that it's going to progress as we truly have faith in Christ. But it's all centered on him, not on me. It's centered on looking to Christ and saying, Christ, change me. Instead of, I'm going to change myself to somehow make myself better for Jesus. And so many times we can fall into the trap of having to obey the rules and forgetting about Christ. And he says, we have died to this way of thinking. And then at the end he says, it might seem wise because of human nature, but it isn't. Saying, obey rules, if you do this and don't do that, everything will be okay. That seems wise. That's how our life, that's how our life works. Like as kids, that's what we learn. Like if you do the right thing, things go well. If you do the wrong thing, you get spanked, all right? So you, you know that that's the truth. So we grow up with this human nature of thinking that somehow it's wise to live by rules. That if we will do the right thing all the time and we'll always make sure that we're making all the right choices and never do anything against the rules, that that's what's going to make us pleasing to God. The truth of the matter is that's not it. Christ died for us. He's already forgiven us. He's pleased with us in the sense we've come to him in faith. That's all that's needed. We don't need to act and do certain things or not do certain things. And he says it seems wise because of our human nature, but it isn't. He says that right here in the passage. He says these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. He says they seem wise, but they're not. That's the whole point. They promote self-made religion, and they promote aestheticism and severity to the body. He says they promote all these things, but not they do not promote true wisdom. And here's the, here's the understanding here at the end. It says, rules don't stop sin. Only Christ can do that. You see here at the end, it says, all of these things, all of these laws that you're following, all of these rules that you're following, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What does this mean? Here's the deal. We, in our strength, cannot restrain our desires. But, in Christ, he can replace them. Let me say that one more time. We can't restrain our desires, but Christ can replace them. Sin is not going to be defeated by us following rules. Sin has already been defeated by Christ, and he changes us. We don't change ourselves. We don't look into ourselves to try to stop sin by promoting all these rules. The only way that we can be Pure in Christ is through him and him alone. We can't restrain our desires. Only Christ can replace them. And here's the cool thing. Paul writes this beautifully. He tells us these things, that we can't add rituals, we can't add religion, we can't add rules. He says we don't need to. They're not, they don't do anything for us. All we need is Christ. And then next week, I'm so excited about next week, we get to chapter 3 of Colossians, which the whole book of Colossians is great, but I just look at chapter 3 as the, the culmination of all we've been looking at. Chapter 3 is the overarching thought that Paul gives us, and it's a beautiful picture of then. If these things are true, and we're not adding any of these things to our faith, then what then does our faith look like? And so all the things we talked about today, you might walk away and say, oh, so what he's saying from up there is, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter as long as I say that I believe in Jesus. Well, come back next week because Paul has a lot more to say. Because that's not what I'm saying and that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying simply that rituals, religion, and rules will not give you spiritual fulfillment. Christ alone will give you that fulfillment. 
And then next week as he goes into showing, okay, then what does it look like to truly have Christ superior in your life? And that's what next week we'll look at. And it'll probably take us two or three weeks to look at the first part of chapter 3. So a couple of questions before we close. Remember, it is Christ and Christ alone that we must be focused on, not any ritual, religion, or rules. And so these are the questions we need to ask ourselves as we walk out today. First of all, have you been looking for completion in all the wrong places? Have you been looking at this world and saying, I want to find completion through all these things that the world has to offer, and you've never come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Quit running after the world and instead run to him who lived a perfect life, who died a death for you so that he could replace himself, replace you for himself in sin and take the punishment of sin, the sin that you've committed, I've committed, we've all been selfish and done the wrong thing, and Christ came, he lived a perfect life, he died for that sin and said, I'm going to take the punishment for you on the cross. And then he rose again three days later and said, now death and sin have been defeated, now just come to me, come to me in faith, look for completion in me, don't look anywhere else. And if you have not been somebody who has come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want you to be everything, I want you to be I want to find completion in you and you alone and you have not come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and given your life to him. Make today the day you do that. And if you have more questions, please feel free to ask myself or anyone else that you see here that you know has been following Christ for a while and we will share with you what it means to truly embrace Christ and find your completion in him. Second question some of us need to ask, are you trying to please God through external acts of worship? Are you trying to please God through external acts of worship? It's not going to please him. Only Jesus is all we need. Are you trying to please God through spiritual experience? Do you think that somehow having some kind of mystical spiritual experience is where your spirituality is found? Well, it's not. It's only found in Christ. Don't look for experience, but look for Jesus. And finally, are you trying to please God through following the rules? Is your life so focused on rules because you think that's how you're going to please God? Stop. Follow Christ. Look to him. He'll direct your steps. So finally, don't let the world tell you that you need these things. Don't let the world tell you that you need ritual, religion, or rules. Listen to God, and he says all you need is Christ and Christ alone. Please stand for our final song.